I'm Linda Fentelberg for Bose News. The World Bank has launched an innovative approach to protect and grow the population of endangered black rhinos by launching a wildlife conservation bond, also called a rhino bond. Two parks in South Africa, the Addo Elephant National Park and the Great Fish River Nature Reserve will benefit. We spoke to Michael Bennett, the Head of Market Solutions and Structured Finance at the World Bank Treasury, and Ellison Wright, a Senior Environmental Finance Specialist at the World Bank, to find out how the Rhino Bond is going to work. So if I can kick off, Michael Bennett, what is a Rhino Bond? The innovation with the Rhino Bond is that traditionally with biodiversity or projects of this type, you're looking at governments or donors funding them up front. And by funding them up front, they are living with the risk that the project ultimately doesn't perform up to its objectives. So the innovation here is really moving from that model to a model where a donor can pay just for success, which is what we're doing here, where the donor here is the Global Environment Facility. It's one of the largest facilities of its type in the world, has 184 sovereign participants. And the Global Environment Facility has funded many traditional grant schemes in this area of biodiversity. But again, they were looking to see whether they could do something as a pay for performance or pay for success basis. So if they're only going to pay for success, we need someone else to take the risk of the project not being successful. And that's where the bond and the capital markets come in. So what we've done here is we issue a bond, 150 million U.S. dollar bond. And a bond, of course, ordinarily pays interest, usually pays interest, you know, on an annual or semi-annual basis. And in this case, the investors give up all of that interest. All the money that would otherwise go as interest on the bond is paid to these two parks on a set schedule. It amounts in South African RAND terms to 152 million South African RAND. And the parks then have the money to do various projects to try to protect and expand their black rhino populations. So at maturity, the investors have given up all of their coupons, of course, they need a chance to make some money on the bond because we did want to make this a true investment, not a form of philanthropy. We wanted to see if we could attract real investors. So the way that they have a chance to make money is on what we're calling the conservation success payments, which is again funded by the GEF, the Global Environment Facility, and is based on how successful these two parks were in growing their black rhino populations based on average annual growth, with average annual growth over 4% leading to a full payout of the success payment, and then four uh, or three other stage payments that there's an 80% level, a 40% level. And then if the growth is zero or negative, they don't get any conservation payment. So in this way, we've passed the, the risk of the project not performing up to its objectives from the donor, or in some cases, this would be from a government, to the capital markets uh, to the capital markets investors. So we think that's a important innovation and something that we could scale and replicate in other uses where we have donors who'd be interested in paying just for success as opposed to just paying for inputs and hoping for success. So it's been launched and what has the response been? I think it's tremendously interesting and exciting to a lot of investors. We have this as a target of institutional investors and what we call high net worth individuals. So basically the minimum investment size here is 100,000 US dollars. So it's not for just the typical woman or man on the street, but it's for it's for sort of wealthy people or institutional investors. And the reason for that is because it's, it is a rather complex bond. And 
I mean, we've had tremendous amount of excitement over the bond. A lot of institutional investors, I would say, have looked at it, more have looked at it than could buy it because a lot of institutional investors looked at it, were interested in the structure, but discovered they just didn't have a portfolio or a place to put something that had rhino risk embedded. But at the same time, we found plenty of investors who could take that risk. And we uh, were settling the bond on March 31st, and it's it's only on March 31st will we know the full investor list, but some very large institutional investors have purchased the bond and also some uh, some individuals. So what happened? Did the investors go for more than the minimum investment amount of $100,000? That's the absolute minimum investment is 100000 So institutional investors are buying in the millions and tens of millions and individuals more in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. Michael, is the appeal of the Rhino bond that it is an investment, that it offer returns? They are not only doing it because of some green or environmental responsibility. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, this is this is a real investment, and that's what we were trying to do here: is to come up with the right risk reward to attract actual investors. And it's obviously the first time anything like this has been tried. So we were experimenting with what's the right risk reward. We certainly didn't want to overpay, but we had to to pay just enough to get to, to get the 150 million size. So the bond is also issued at a discount. It's issued at just below 95 percent of its par value, meaning that the investors pay, if, if you can imagine one investor buying the whole bond, which is not what happened, but they would have paid 94.84% and in maturity they get 100%. So they actually get a guaranteed minimum return that way and they have the chance for the success payment return. So just looking at our bands, our success payment bands, if the highest level is reached, which is 4% or greater growth, annual growth in the black rhino populations of the two parks, the investors get 2.83% essentially based on uh, the accretion to par plus the success payment. And that goes all the way down to the, to the lowest return, which is if zero or negative growth occurs, in which case they get no success payment. And then the yeah. total return to the investors is just 1.06%. That's the span of potential return from 1.06. If there's no growth to 2.83% per annum equivalent return, if there is 4% or greater growth. So is this a forerunner or a pilot? You will see how this goes and then you will roll it out to another region or park or endangered species. Well, we, we hope so. Again, we think this structure has, has a lot of appeal, certainly to donors and governments because they can just pay for success. And we think it's exciting for investors, too, because they get to know their money is going to a specific project. They know it's additional resources for that project that wouldn't be there without their money. And they have a chance to make you know, an attractive return if the project is successful. So their incentives are all aligned with success. And so we think it's exciting. And it, it could certainly be rolled out, you can imagine, for other similar things, other species, or even for other areas of development. There's nothing specific about the structure to animals. It could be for other sorts of development goals. So, Ellison Wright, can I direct this question to you? Why did you choose South Africa? Why black rhinos? And why these two specific parks? There's a big biodiversity finance gap, okay? It's estimated at least $700 billion annually. And Despite the amount of funding that governments can devote to it, we need to find products and ways for investors in the capital markets to, to really help and, and start to engage in this sector. So this is a pilot, and we had to really find good projects that 
are ready to go through the rigorous requirements of investors because in reality, we could have picked probably any different one. And we do have other examples. So Michael and team, they have worked on a seashells bond before, which had a, call it a blue bond component. Uh, IFC has done a forest bond before that had, you know, a market specific effort around that. In this case, for biodiversity, biodiversity is the next wave from where climate really has been going in the last few years. We really built on a project that was started back in 2014 that set the foundation for why Rhino and why South Africa. Okay, so that's important yeah. to highlight that the bank got involved in this around 2019. And we've been really going through that preparation stage since, but we built on an existing project that, you know, uh, really went through the scientific rigor to come up with which one would be the most appropriate uh, species and also which sites are ready to do this. So we did this transaction really to build on that particular project. So it's the Rhino Impact Investment Project is the name of it. And the Global Environment Facility and other donors, including the UK Illegal Wildlife Trade Fund and some others supported that. But basically, to answer your question is, we looked at 130 different sites from many countries. Okay, these are important sites that could contribute in a material way to the conservation of black rhino. And then black rhino were thought to be more easily monitored compared with, let's say, pangolins or any other uh, species out there. Mm -hmm. And there is a very good track record and system of reporting. So as you know, annually, the minister there of DFFE, Minister Creasy, she reports on how many rhinos are poached and, and periodically the population of the rhinos, et cetera. All of that was very, very conducive. And finally, the IUCN, the Survival Species Commission there for African Rhino Specialist Group, they provided a lot of input and guidance and ultimately helped to select these two sites that were ready to go for a market-based product. And South Africa, which, as you know, is a leader in rhino conservation, and they have been key driver for the rebound in the white rhino as well as the black rhino populations, you know, they have that expertise. So, again, starting with 130 sites from multiple countries, that last project, the RIIP, really screened it down with the help of this African rhino specialist group to come up with these two sites that were ultimately ready to engage for our preparation purposes and then to take it to market. So the two parks are the Addo Elephant National Park and the Great Fish Nature Reserve. Tell us about them, because some of our listeners might not know so much about them. These two sites, they have an extensive track record of uh, delivering uh, results. They grew their rhino from basically a non-existent population, okay, because they didn't have rhino back in the 90s. And then they reintroduced them from Namibia. Okay, so Namibia was the source. And then from that, they started growing and conserving these rhinos. And over the last, I would say, five or seven years, they've increased also their capability to, to monitor and track. And this is all part of their uh, conservation effort. Both of these sites are located in the Eastern Cape. Mm -hmm. uh, Addo Elephant National Park, it's uh, around you know 1,700 kilometers squared, around 175,000 hectares. It is a key location for tourism. It's top three in nature-based tourism inflows for the Sand Park system. So, you know, it already has a very good tourism track record. It's one of the big five parks, okay? So it does have elephants and other wildlife there. And meanwhile, Great Fish is a provincial park 
It's around 45,000 hectares. And ECPTA is the manager, the municipal entity in charge of that. And they also have been spending a lot on their rhinos and they were participating in this prior phase. These are well-managed parks. They have a very good track record. They're very rich in their flora and the biomes that they represent, okay? Also, the rhinos, we use them as an umbrella species for representing how things are managed and how other species benefit from these types of investments. And ultimately, it's a good type of site to consider. ADO, obviously, is part of that national system, uh, Sand Parks, and then ECPTA, it's a municipal authority, and they're both are very important for the conservation of, of rhinos, along with the private reserves and the other parties that are part of this as well. So again, the, the entire group there within South Africa and then more broadly within Southern Africa play an important role for this. So just on, on great fish, you know, why is it an important place? First, on a social component, half of a great fish is actually owned by a local community, and they have a co-management agreement, which maintains the conservation purpose. So it's only used for conservation purpose, and the ECPTA executes that mandate to really use it as a conservation area, right? But basically, there is a revenue sharing scheme in place, and it's tied to both tourism and, and other revenues that come in. It's a, a important site there for other biodiversity as well. And strategically, longer term, Great Fish intends to also become a, a big five destination there and increase its tourism efforts. So this project does have investments that are going to help with, with the future development of the site and make it another important attraction there in the tourism circuit in South Africa. So one of the questions that South Africans are asking is why didn't you choose Kruger National Park? Because they have a lot of black rhinos. That's a great question. And, and obviously Kruger is the gemstone there for probably all of Africa, but not just South Africa, right? And they are a big draw and attention for this. Part of the reason is they already implemented a lot of the efforts that we're going to support through this activity, and meaning you know, they had a huge spike in poaching from 2007 all the way to 2014-15. Uh, the epicenter of it was in Kruger. So back in 2014, where there were over 1,200 rhinos that were poached, Kruger was the large majority of those. And even three years ago, back in 2019, they had one rhino poached a day. That was you know, a successful year. So things have improved, at least in, in Kruger, but meaning they have been very successful leveraging additional funds. So there was big investments from Buffett Foundation and from the government itself. I mean, if you visit Skokuza there and the security operations centers, it's really top of the line. They are at the forefront of security operations, but also tourism offerings, engagement with communities. It's, it's always improving and they have that big mandate. They have done the things that we're going to be applying proactively to try to avoid any potential issues, especially on the poaching side that Kruger unfortunately did experience in the mid-2010s where they had this big spike. So we're focusing on these important populations of black rhinos and being proactive in investment to avoid any sort of future poaching issues. And the population is actually quite significant. It's equivalent to, to Kruger in many ways. The reason why, you know, not to invest there in Kruger, it's these sites need all the investments which Kruger has benefited from over the last probably 10 years. And so this is really helping 
on that financing gap that Michael is alluding to, and it's the additional financing they wouldn't get otherwise. And the rhino growth rate would be independently monitored and verified. It's so weird to say rhino growth rate. It is an unusual investment term. Well, hopefully with your help, we'll be able to educate and inform a lot of others so that they get used to looking at rhino growth rate, elephant growth rate, uh, chimpanzees, and many others. So bottom line is we do have the sites. They have the mandate to manage the rhino population. They have the tools and techniques which will be strengthened through this project, and they will be reporting on the rhino growth as they also do at the national level. So here they have provided verification for unique rhinos that are there in their population, and they have to be monitored at least and recorded once a year. That's the minimum requirement we have. And then, you know, we have a specialist who is called Conservation Alpha. They do the calculation agent role, which is to do the quality assurance and all of that, and then also apply a model that will capture any, you know, rhinos that may be within the population, but have not been seen, you know, in the, in the recent monitoring period, because sometimes they're not always either in the open, right? It's it's very hard to actually see rhinos, but, you know, also to differentiate one from the other, although there are various techniques to do that. So, you know, this modeling accounts for, for those potential rhinos that weren't necessarily seen and documented through either camera traps or other uh, monitoring techniques that, you know, are captured that way. And finally, your question around verification, uh, Zoological Society of London, ZSL, who was also involved with that prior project that we mentioned, they will be doing a specific check of the work that Conservation Alpha will produce in the parks. And then there's a system that we are going to be using specifically for this project called Rhino uh, Outcomes Management System. Mm-hmm. which tracks all of the different details and all the different information. So ZSL is the independent verifier who also reviews the information done by this independent calculation agent, which is based on all of the good work that the parks will be doing and monitoring over time over the five years of the life of the project. Thank you, Michael Bennett and Ellison Wright. <laughs>